We will uh, continue in our series in the book of Ephesians. All right, so just some orientation here. Uh, We are in the second half of Paul's great prayer for the church in Ephesus and the other early churches. And we saw much of this prayer last week. And Paul, after celebrating the glory of God, he cannot help but pray for these believers. Not that they might receive something new, but that they might appreciate the thing that they already have. And that they might have hope. Hope in what God has done. And now last week we saw that that hope was ultimately that God has chosen his people, the believers in him, those who have put their faith in Christ, to be his great inheritance, to to be the object of his glory, to be lifted up for the glory of, of his name, and that in his glory we are glorified and lifted up. Now we ask the question, okay, so that's the content of this hope. What is the certainty of that hope? It's one thing to say that, yeah, God wants to do that, but can he? Can he do that? That's another question. And can he do it in you? What barriers stand in the way? Is it really going to happen? And so today we're going to see that uh, we have hope in God's calling because of God's great power. We have hope because of God's power, the very power that raised Christ from the dead, and power that will raise us up in Christ, power that will unite us together as his collective inheritance, and power that will equip us for spiritual battle, that we may stand until the day of Christ's return. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our own power. Our hope is in the power of God that has been gifted to us in Christ. And so, let us read Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 focused on that second half. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what is his hope, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we pray this prayer for ourselves. We pray this prayer for one another. We pray this prayer for the churches collectively. We ask that our hope would not be in our own power, but in the power that you have that you have already demonstrated in Christ and that is ours and by faith in Christ. Lord, would we not doubt your power? Would we not try to, try to conjure up some power of ourselves that would we receive it? And so, Father, would you 
By your spirit, enlighten the eyes of our heart to see these truths. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, same prayer as last week. A prayer that we might not, not get something, but know something. Know and value and love and delight in this thing that we have in Jesus Christ. This thing that we have by all of the work that we have seen that God does. That we may have hope. Hope. Now what is hope? Once again, hope is this ability to, to look into the future. To look into the future and to see good. That you know that, that you, there's goodness standing before you as you look out into the unknown. You have this certainty. And it is both that, that ability to look forward and see good, but it's also the, the, the grounding by which we stand. And last week we talked about how we are trophies of God. That he has chosen certain people to be, by faith, these, these trophies of his own glory, his inheritance. That he would transform us so that we might reflect the glory of God and demonstrate the glory of God. And we might proclaim that God is great and God is perfect and God is gracious and God is, is faithful. Because we have seen all of these things poured out upon us. We cannot help but proclaim them and, and represent them and, and shine with that glory to one another. Now that, that was the, this great calling. It was the content of our hope. That God would complete that and do that. But today we're looking at this, this other side of it. How do we know that that's actually going to happen? How do we know that it's real? How do we know that, yes, it's promise, but what if I mess it up? What if you aren't, aren't, aren't good enough to be the trophy? What if, what if you aren't doing the right things? Or what if that just is, is too lofty an idea and in the reality of every day, it doesn't seem like it's really going to happen? That's what we're addressing today. All these things that undermine our hope. Because the reality is, is that we're, we're talking about something that's it's out in the future that there's a guarantee of goodness. And that naturally asks the question, okay, Who's powerful enough to make sure that happens? To ensure that, that the trajectory of the future, that all of these things come together and move towards good and transformation and the glorification and, and redemption of his people. And as I say that, I remind us that you and I, we are too weak to create our own hope. You are too weak to have hope in yourself. And now we don't believe that. And my hope is that we would, my hope is, uh, that we would we'd realize it. And so to, to help us with that, uh, I want you to see that you cannot create your own hope. You are too weak. Are you willing to identify with your own weakness this morning? All right, so let's talk about the time, past, present, and future. We as creatures, we are 
We are only and ever in the present. We cannot control the past. And we recognize that if we could, we probably would have done things different. We probably could maybe ensure more of our happiness to make sure that more goodness would happen in the future. You could look back and say, you know, I, if only I could invest it in more in, in Apple and Bitcoin, maybe I could ensure my goodness in the future. Or maybe if I, if I could, had just done certain things in a relationship, if I had made the right decisions, if I'd done all these things, I, I would have ensured this great and good future for myself. And the reality is in our weakness, of course, we don't, we don't actually think we can change the past, but in our regret, in our self-chastising, in our, our longingly looking back, we, we regret that we were not gods. That we didn't make a better hope for ourselves. As compared to the God who, who actually holds all things in his hands, who is so outside of time that he can, like, he can look at the whole trajectory and lay out the whole plan, past, present, and future, and not just watch it happen, but like he wills and ensures that all of things these things happen according to his plan, according to his power. Now let's talk about the future. We act like we know the future. We make plans like we can control it. But the reality is we, we have no control over the future. You are too weak to make sure that your future is filled with the goodness that God has said he can guarantee. Now, as I think of that, I, I think of this, this article that was given to me once. All right. It was a leadership article. And it was saying that, uh, how, how, how do you become a great leader and make sure that you lead things well? And the, uh, the author, he gave this example. And he said, okay, uh, there was this high-powered like, executive. And he was flying into a city to make this like, high-stakes uh, presentation to a board. And so he's, he's, he's flying in first class, and he's, he's dressed and ready. He's going to get right into his, his town car, I don't know, whatever the thing, uh, and, and go to the meeting and go like, win the day. But what happens? Someone spills something on him. And his suit, his suit has all this stuff on it. And he goes and presents, and he's flustered by the suit. And, uh, and what was, what, <laughs> the takeaway was this. He should have had a second suit. And it went on, and the article went on and said, you know what, you should prepare for every contingency always. And if you cannot do that, you are an unfit leader. And so, like, so, oh, like, if, if the plane goes down, you should have a parachute. You know, if like there's a, like you should have a spare tire, just in case you get a flat, you should, you should have like, what if the second suit gets sustained? You should have three. And like, it became this, it's like this crazy expectation and this assumption that like, no, you, you really need to, like, by your own self-control, Manage your life, and then and only then can you be trusted to ensure the goodness of yourself and others. Now, it sounds silly, but some of you, I think, live like that. 
And we think that, well, maybe that's just wise or... No, that's, that's... We have a wisdom book in the New Testament. And it says that that is unrealistic. It's just not true to the weakness of our, our humanity. Look at James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or that. All right, what is James saying? James is saying that every single plan of yours is, is subject to things that are 100% outside your control. And your whole life is like hanging on this thread of reality and of life. And tomorrow, you could make a plan, but in reality, who makes the plan? God does. And we are all subject to forces that we absolutely cannot control. That you, you in, in 10 seconds from now, could have a brain aneurysm and be dead on the floor, and that's just the reality of life. That's the... the the lack of control that we have. And James, he said, remind yourself day by day by day, every time you make a plan, say, if the Lord wills, because it reminds us of what reality is that we don't control tomorrow. And the best laid plans. Now, we can talk about past and future, but other things. You cannot control other people. You desperately want to, and you, we try to, and we like to. We try to make sure that people like us. We can't control that. We can't control whether our, our toddler swallows her peas or not. You absolutely don't have control over that. You cannot make your teenager obey from the heart. You cannot make someone love you or like you or accept you. There's just things you, you, you really cannot control. And we try to wrestle control, and, and what do we end up doing? We, we might go the positive way and kind of flatter and manipulate. Or maybe we, we get angry and we, we kick and scream and try to get the people to do what they want, what we want them to. And the reality is you, you, you are too weak to make sure that they give you the goodness that you want from them. You cannot stop illness or suffering. You cannot stop the, the wheels of time. You cannot contain the corrupting effects of sin. You cannot stop death. You can try by being more anxious. You can try by watching the news more. You can try by shifting the blame or gaining more power, but the, the reality is there are things that are outside of your control. You, you are outside of your own control. There are things that are true to just, just to you that is, is beyond you. There are things that I'm too weak to do, too inexperienced to do, too immature to do, too foolish to do, too sinful to do, and things that I cannot control about my own nature. You are limited to one body. You are limited to the present. 
You're limited by food and water and sleep. You're even limited in your ability to get your own happiness. That what, is, what does Ecclesiastes say? It says that it's, it's like chasing after the wind. And you go, go out there, get a net. <laughs> go chase the wind. Go okay, see how, how much you can control that. Good luck. And that's the reality. We can't even create goodness in the, in a, in the present for ourselves. We lack the control over that. We can't control the serotonin pumping through our brains at this moment. All right. Maybe our last-ditch effort, maybe you can manipulate the one who can't. Maybe if only you could, get, you could get God in your grasps. And if you were good enough, then maybe he would have to listen. If you were righteous enough, then you could command him to do your will. In that sense, you're not just too weak. You're too sinful for that. You cannot be holding yourself to God. He, or he is not beholden to you. He does not owe you anything. And in fact, if he owes you anything, he owes you judgment. All right. So, what are you still trying to do to control your life and to build your hope upon yourself and your own abilities? There is no hope there. The kind of goodness that God is talking about here, the kind of life, the kind of glory is not something that you can manufacture. And you'll ruin your life trying. So, what then? What then do we turn to? Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would help us know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now, as we've looked at this, we've seen what we've seen three things. We've seen the hope of his calling. We've seen the, the fact that we are his inheritance, and finally, his power. His power, which is immeasurably great. And that's where we are weak, but he is strong. He knows all things. He doesn't just know them, he wills them to be. He is in control of past, present, and future. He needs nothing. He doesn't need food, he doesn't need drink, he doesn't even need your worship. He never rests, he never stops. There's no lack in his character. He's always good, he's always perfect, he's always holy. He's always doing the right thing. He's the one who, by, by the word of his power, created everything you have ever experienced. He is the one who holds all of life in his hand. His power. That is the power that grounds our hope. Right? Our hope is built upon the power of God. And remember I said, you, you, can't, you, can't, uh, you can't manipulate him. So how do you get it? How do you get it? It, it, it is given to to us who believe. To us who believe. And I talked about this last week, of valuing something that you already had. And this time, what do you have? You, you already have that power. And there's lots of sermons that talk about, and right, rightfully so maybe, that talk about, hey, hey how, how can you 
tap into the power. And there are always like illustrations of like a plug and that, that's how the sermon series is. And it's like plugged in. And it's this concept of like I need the power, but you're not, you're not doing the right things to get it. And how do you get it and how do you tap into it and how do you access this great power? What does this say? It says, how do you get it? You get it by believing. You believe in Jesus Christ. And that is the power that is building all of your hope. It's not something that you work towards. It's not something you get for yourself. It's something that is gifted by grace in Jesus Christ, just like salvation, just like the Holy Spirit, just like all of these blessings. Power. We are gifted that power. And he's praying that we might know that it is ours. And that we already have it. And that it builds such hope. So I ask you, do you believe God is powerful enough? Is he powerful enough to ensure your good? To build you up in glory? Is he powerful enough to like actually do what he says he wants he's going to do? I pray by the Holy Spirit we might know that goodness. We might believe it. And not question it, and not every time we see that things don't go our way, we might say, well, God is weak, or God just doesn't like me. Or, No, he's powerful enough. And to prove it, he shows, okay, I am powerful enough. This is what I've already done. All right, it's nice to have a demo. Right? So uh, if someone says they're going to beat you up, and then they deadlift a car, like, it's just like adding to the certainty. All right, like, oh, okay, good point. I'll, I believe you. All right, that's what's happening here. Uh, he's saying, okay, uh, I have great power, and that power has already been used once, and here it is, second half of 19. We might understand the power towards us who believe according to, equivalent to, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right. Do you want a picture of God's power? We have it in Jesus Christ. We have a picture of God's, Jesus, of God's power in Jesus Christ. He is our test case. And so think of, think of Jesus. You know all that weakness that we talked about earlier? All of that weakness Jesus experienced in his incarnation. Not the fallen, fallen sinfulness. That's not that one, but... Uh, all right, so he became utterly weak. Became nothing in the eyes, not only of the cosmos, but of men. He became tempted, struggling, hungry, thirsty, tired. And he goes lower. He goes, he's utterly humiliated. He is shamed on the cross. He is beaten. He is naked. And powerless. 
desperately trying to get each breath. That is the weakness of Jesus until he is dead. All of the power has been drained from him as he lies in the tomb. Jesus cannot go any lower. And then we see this progressive lifting up of Jesus. First, he's raised from the dead, vindicated from all this judgment, every attack, declared innocent and righteous. And then then we go further. He's lifted up into heaven. And he's lifted up into heaven, not just high, but far above all rule and authority and power and dominion over every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. And so, yes, he's lifted up, but, but it, it traverses all of time. And he's lifted up so high, he can never be toppled. He will never fall. He cannot. And in this age and in, in the future eternity of the new heavens and new earth, he will always reign. God has such power that, like, that, that he can just make those kind of statements for all of eternity, and this, this will be the case. He will put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Raised so high that his enemies, all things, become a footstool. He's kicking his feet up on everything. He is so high and lifted up. He is so exalted that his throne is so impressive. All right, this one who was under, under death, and judgment and humiliation, who was under the just poured out the wrath of God upon him for our sins. And by the power of God, here he, here he sits at the right hand of God, guaranteed to stay there with no even comparative equal. That power, that 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 power, that is the power that God has poured out upon believers that they may have certainty for the future ahead of them. Amen? That's pretty good. That's good stuff. That's a lot of power. All right, if if that's the power of our hope, we should trust God to actually be doing that work. And when things happen, we shouldn't be like, well, I messed that one up. No, it was never your power. It was never about how you could make sure that this stuff would happen. No, this is what he does. According to his sovereign will, according to his sovereign rule, with all of his strength. Now, do you believe in that power? Is that power yours? Do you really think that any amount of your sinfulness or your foolishness, your, is this going to get in the way of, of like that? Or do you think that God can't work through that or work through the, the suffering that you experience? Or He really can. He really can redeem. He really can work. He really can lift us up. He did it once. He can do it again. 
what does that look like for you and me? What, is, what does that actually mean? And thankfully, it's, it's not just this kind of like external abstract thing. In the letter of Ephesians, it's, it's very much about power. And power comes up again and again and again. And it talks about the power that is given to us. And what he doesn't just leave us with is to say, yeah, like, so there's a lot of power that Jesus does, or that Jesus gets, and we'll get a lot of power too. No, he's saying, in the exact way that I gave power to Jesus, I will give that same power to you in, in working in the same way. And so he goes on and he talks about, first, the resurrection power that we have in Christ. The resurrection power that we have in Christ. And that's where this same path that Jesus walks, his being lifted up, we are gifted that exact same trajectory. Exactly the same. Which is shocking. Because you think, well, that, no, that, that's, that sounds like only Jesus should be allowed to do that. And then, and then we're shown that, no, actually, you are equally dead in your transgressions. And without your own power, you should go down, not up. You should go down to judgment and destruction forever. That's the just punishment for your sin. But instead, because you are in Christ, by your faith in Christ, no, you, you're lifted from the dead. And you are raised, not just into heaven to hang out. No, what is it? It's, 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 you, are, you are seated in the very seat alongside Jesus. That you are seated with him in the heavenly places. That that crazy throne where he's putting his feet up and like, if you are in Christ, then you are in Christ. And you are on the throne. That you are exalted that high. And you're vicariously given like that glory. Which is crazy. And it feels like it's like mistranslated. Like, no, it's... You're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And he also says that, talk about that time thing, that that's not just true in the future, that's actually true now. That spiritually, you, you if you put your faith in Christ, you're already seated there. You are already there in spirit because Jesus is there and you're in Christ. It's that done. The power's already been unleashed. All right, what, what a promise. What a comfort. And here we go around asking, well, like, maybe, maybe I'm too sinful. And maybe I'm too foolish. Maybe, maybe there's still some judgment to be paid. Or maybe there's still some death or some, maybe he's angry at me for some reason. No. If you are in Christ, these things are true of you. And he will use his power to get you there. It is present now, and it will be far more present in the future, better than I will ever be able to just tell you or describe that his power will leave us utterly glorified, free from all sin. We will be unrecognizable, 
because I don't think we see the, the extent of our sinfulness that just pollutes every aspect of our being. But we will be free. Free to enjoy God and delight in him and be his trophies and worship forever. So what are we going to stop saying? We are going to stop saying and believing and thinking things like I'm too sinful or well, yeah, but maybe I'm, I'm going to stand in the way of that purpose or, you know, God, I, it seems like sometimes you're just mean and you're not doing it. And he has the power to do this. Jesus' death and his resurrection was powerful enough that if you are in Christ, this is the power that is gifted to you. Paul goes on. He talks about how he's going to use all these things to unite the body of the church together with all of his power. Verse 22. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right, so Jesus is all filled up. But we are the fullness of him who fills all in all. And what God is doing is, and speaks about in the book of Ephesians, is the power that he has to unite people together. That we might be this collective community that glorifies God together. That we might show God to one another. That we might act collectively as a body that follows our head, Jesus Christ, that does mercy and, and preaches the gospel and loves people that offers forgiveness to one another, that looks beyond these trivial distinctions, that God is using that power to make us a collective, glorious community. And he talks about how the, the Jews and the Gentiles, they had as big a barrier as you can possibly imagine. All right, we think we've seen racial barriers. No, like, people wouldn't even look at each other. Wouldn't be willing to... to eat the same food, speak the same language, walk through their property. Like, these are huge divisions. And by the power of God, he breaks them down and says, there's one man, not two. There's one Jesus, and you are all in him. All right, that is the power. That is the power that sits at work in us to create us into this new community, this beautiful people of God. And so I ask you, is... Are you letting, or like, are you saying like, eh, I'm just going to be content with divisions and, and petty little disagreements and divisions in the body because God can't really fix all that. Or there's believers that like, I'm in conflict with, but like, uh, God first doesn't really care about that and like, it's probably never going to change. That's just a lie. It's an utter lie. God is stronger than all of that. And if there is division, there is power for forgiveness. All right, last one. Finally, he gives us power for spiritual warfare. To fight the battles that are before us. To fight battles against the rulers, against the authority, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Christ has been lifted up above those authorities. And if we are in Christ, we are lifted up above those authorities. We are gifted with his, his own armor. And he is ever working and battling and giving us power to stand before spiritual battles and temptation and evil. And I remind us, stop saying, well, a, I, I'm merely human. Or I'll, I'll never defeat this sin. This is just the way I've been made. This is just the battle that I'll have to battle for all eternity. It's inevitable in my weakness. No. Let us fight these battles with true hope. With hope that the power is not in us, but there is great power in God. That by the power of his might, we will stand. That we will stand as one beautiful community, glorifying him. Those filled with the glory of God, that we might glorify him and be glorified in him. Will he do it? Can he do it? He has given us all the power. May we believe it. May we love it. May we live like it is true. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are weak, but you are strong. You are infathomably strong, and yet, Father, we confess that we often accuse you of being weak, God, you have been weak but once. Jesus was weak in our place and suffered and died in our place that we may receive all of the power that resurrected him from the dead and lifted him up. Lord, we confess that we deny our weakness and we try to, to gather for ourselves a power that is not our own. We use sin and darkness as, a, as tools to gain for ourselves power and control. And Father, we ask that we might let go of those things. We might let go of fear and anxiety and, and Lord, of running after blessing and goodness that we cannot control. And Father, instead, would we trust in the one who has walked this path ahead of us, who guarantees it, who already makes it true, and who is the founder and perfecter of our faith and the, the grounder of our hope. Holy Spirit, help us to believe and help us to live like this is true. We pray in Christ's name.